present truth is a location, and that location is where Jesus is. And so the pursuit in light of the Sermon on the Mount, the invitation, the pursuit is to find where Jesus is and stick with him. Hey everyone, my name is Kelvin. Welcome back to another message from Elevate Retake. Thanks so much for being here. Today we are ending our series, Righteousness by Heart. And we have our final message preached by Pastor Michael entitled, Two Gates, Two Trees, Two Groups, and Two Foundations. If you want to follow along, Matthew 7, verses 13 through 29 is where we're going to be at today. And the question I want you to think about is, what are you going to do as we leave the mountain? Jesus is either everything or he is nothing. Here's Pastor Michael. The message, the last message under the series, Righteousness by Heart. We've been here for nine weeks. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for nine weeks. Matthew chapters five, six, and seven. And we come down to Jesus' final words. The the last things that he will say in his magnum opus, his doctoral dissertation, the greatest sermon ever preached. These are the final words of Jesus comes to us under the series titled Righteousness by Hearts. And Jesus will finish the Sermon on the Mount with us this morning, sharing with us four pictures or four ways to think about what our Christian walk is like. And I'd like to explore those with you today. We have to think about this question. What are you going to do as we leave the mountain? We've been with Jesus for nine weeks in this particular sermon series. Been up on top of the mountain. Now Jesus is getting ready to finish. What will we do when we leave? Buckminster Fuller, gentleman who wrote Critical Path, is an American architect. He was the designer of the geodesic dome. Anybody been to Disney World? Epcot? Yeah, that was him. He wrote in his book, Critical Path, that up until the 1900s, that human knowledge was doubling about every 100 years. You go from 1800 to 1900, and the collective uh, understanding of humanity will have doubled within that time. And he postulated within that book that as we progress through the 1900s, that knowledge would begin to double every 25 years. So that by the time World War II had finished, 1945, knowledge was doubling every 25 years. You go later into the 1900s, it starts to be every decade and then every five years. And David Schilling picks up his uh, uh, commentary in, in 2013 and says that in 2013, the collective knowledge of humanity would double every 13 months. And he postulated that with the rise of the internet and the interconnectedness of countries and continents and great thinkers, that by the year 2020... That feels like forever ago, doesn't it? By the year 2020, that our collective knowledge and human information would double every 12 hours. So if you were born this morning, hypothetically, of course, if you were born this morning, by the time you went to bed tonight, the collective knowledge of humanity will have doubled in the first 12 hours of your life. And we can see this pan out in a very real way. If you just take YouTube, the the video giant, right? 
their statistics, according to the year 2019, I'm sure it's up a little bit more for 2021, that every 60 seconds, 300 hours worth of video content is uploaded to YouTube. That's insane. And with all of that information spinning around, it is impossible for us to reach the end of YouTube in our lifetime. That means in one day, if, if 300 hours of video is going up every 60 seconds, in one day, there is 50 years worth of content uploaded to the wonderful video streaming site. There is absolutely no way that we will be able to keep up. Neil Postman, in his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, puts it this way. In both oral and typographic cultures, information derives its importance from the possibilities of action. He hypothesizes in his book that information is only useful insofar that you can act upon it. And he, he looks at our history and says that there's a turning point, not when the TV came out, not when the internet was invented, but when the telegraph was invented. That information turned from being useful to being just something that you could store in the back of your mind. You think 250 years ago, if you lived in a small community and Farmer Joe's barn was burning down, what would you do if you caught word that Farmer Joe's barn was burning down? You'd start a hashtag, right? Ban barn fires. Maybe put up that GoFundMe, right? We got to raise some money for Farmer Joe. No, you're going to go grab a bucket. You're going to go down to the duck pond and you're going to grab some water. and You're going to go throw it on Farmer Joe's barn, right? Two, even 200 years ago, the information that we received, we needed to immediately act upon. And Postman continues in his fantastic book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. He says, for the first time in human history, people were faced with the problem of information glut. This is after the telegraph came out, which means that simultaneously they were faced with the problem of diminished social and political potency. There is information that you consume on a daily basis that you have to do absolutely nothing about. You can Google the weather in Kansas and it's not going to affect your time in Keene this afternoon. You can find out about the latest celebrity get together or the latest celebrity breakup, but do absolutely nothing about it. So instead of like thinking to yourself like, oh, I mean, that's kind of cool. And you go on with your everyday life. Postman articulates that we play intellectual peekaboo with the information that we consume. He puts it this way, next slide. It's a world without much coherence or sense, a world that does not ask us indeed, does not permit us to do anything. A world that is like the child's game of peekaboo, entirely self-contained, but, but endlessly entertaining. It says we could get to the point that we consume so much information that we have no idea what to do about it. And that is the danger within which we sit this morning. That we've been on a journey together for the past nine weeks, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been collecting information. But the danger this morning is that we walk out of these doors and do absolutely nothing about it. Maybe we'll tweet about it or post on Instagram or something like that. But Jesus wants to make sure that we do not leave this place unchanged. And through a series of four expanding yet interconnected illustrations, he gives us warning. Being confronted with knowledge. Knowledge of the gospel and the kingdom of God and how all that's going to work out. And doing absolutely nothing about it. 
So let's journey this morning and see what Jesus has to say about the decisions that we must make in light of what he has told us in the Sermon on the Mount. Go to picture number one, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult. Only a few ever find it. You can imagine in your mind's eye the narrow roads that were carved into hillsides as people tried to navigate first century Israel. The doorways put into the city small so they could see who was coming in and know who was going out. And Jesus says, the narrow gate, that is the way to life. And we can very quickly in our minds be tempted to think that the narrow gate is some sort of sense of doctrine or, or, or a set of understanding that we can, if we could just grasp that, that small little, yes, that's the narrow thing. If I could just be more sure of my doctrine, then things would be okay. The unfortunate bit in this postmodern world that we live in, there are many truths. You can be who you want to be, when you want to be them, and how you would like to be you. Here's the thing about what Jesus has laid out in the Sermon on the Mount, this concept of present truth and knowing who Jesus is in that relationship. Present truth is not something that we can say, okay, ah, I've got it, I can stick it in my pocket and we can walk away and things be okay. No, present truth is a location and that location is where Jesus is. And so the pursuit in light of the Sermon on the Mount, the invitation, the pursuit is to find where Jesus is and stick with him. That where Jesus is going, the things that Jesus is sticking, that he's teaching to stay right beside him. Any other path in life will lead to destruction. The only way to life is through the narrow gate, the one way, and that is Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it this way, commenting in the book, The Cost of Discipleship, to confess and testify to the truth as it is in Jesus, and at the same time to love the enemies of that truth, his enemies and ours, and to love them with the infinite love of Jesus Christ is indeed a narrow way. To say that you hold and profess the truth of Jesus and to love those that live out the antithesis of that truth, that is a very small margin. That's exactly what Jesus called his disciples to do in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you to love even your enemy. Because anybody can love their friends, but those who are diametrically opposed to you ideologically, politically, whatever ideology you can come up with, Jesus says those are the ones that I'm inviting you to love. Those are the ones that I'm inviting you to be in, in, in intimate relationship with. Jesus, in this first picture, invites us to be careful which path we choose. There's one path that leads to life. Every other way leads to destruction. The second picture Jesus outlines, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way that they act can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. 
A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Jesus says that as you walk this narrow way, there will be those who profess a beautiful picture of Christianity, one that maybe makes sense completely, and maybe it's mostly true, but there's just a little piece in there that doesn't quite sit right. Jesus says, be careful those who you listen to, the prophets, the teachers, the Social media influencers, the news pundits, the people that you get the idea of how you should live your life, where you get that from, be careful who you listen to. So important to check those inputs because Jesus says those false prophets will be a thing. You've got to watch out. Look for their fruit. Look how their lives are lived out and are their actions congruent with the words that they're saying and are both of those congruent with the library of Scripture and the way of Jesus found therein. The first picture of two ways, the second of two trees, the third of two groups, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 23. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. You see, we can practice right religion, but with wrong intent. And not everyone who speaks or acts under the name and banner of Jesus truly represents who he is. The crux of the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount coming from Jesus, the great divide, Jesus says, is there will be those who will do the will of my Father and those who do not. He cuts to the core. He divides Christianity in its center. See, it's not enough to carry the name of Jesus only. It must be etched on our heart. A heart transformed that produces action and fruit in our lives. Author and speaker Rich Viotis put it this way. Ending prayers within Jesus' name doesn't mean anything if the content of the prayer doesn't reflect Jesus' character. We are living our lives, not acting out Jesus' character. Then it's, it's, all, it's all in vain. Jesus invites us in this third picture to be careful to choose to do the will of the Father. To follow after Jesus. That's a radical obedience to the way of Jesus and a radical enemy love. That anyone that you come in contact with, you are sharing the grace of Jesus. And finally, the fourth picture, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. You probably heard of this one in kindergarten or cradle roll. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is a wise, it, it follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. The rains came down and the floods came up. 
The rains came down and the floods, you know, right? The rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the rock stood firm. The invitation of Jesus in this final picture is a contrast between two foundations. Yes, we all build our lives, right? We all go about being builders. And there's a certain moral element to the wise and the foolish person, right? We can think about it in the realm of morality, but it's so much bigger than that because to be a moral person, you have to be a thinking person. One who makes a choice in their mind of what they're putting in that produces fruit in their lives. Jesus says, choose very carefully, for we are all builders. Both are building, and the difference is not how they build, but where their house is placed. The house that we build isn't as important as the foundation that we build it on, because Jesus knows that if we build on the solid foundation, that no matter what comes in life, and the storm will come. Broken relationship, empty bank account, tragic accidents, loss of a loved one, whatever that storm might be, when the rains came and the floods come, the house that's built on the rock is the one that stands firm. And Jesus' invitation is to be careful which foundation you choose, sand or stone. And the greatest risk, this worst case scenario, finishing up the Sermon on the Mount, is that we could leave the mountain unchanged. And Jesus says, there, there are, there's only two ways. There are two choices to make. You can choose the narrow gate or you can choose the wide gate. The narrow gate leads to life. The wide gate leads to destruction. You can choose which tree you will be, the good tree producing good fruit or the bad tree producing bad fruit. You can choose which group you're going to be a part of, those who do the will of the Father or those who not. You can choose whether you will be building on the solid foundation or on the shifting sand. The greatest worst case scenario is that we would walk away from this choice apathetic. To make no choice at all is to choose not Jesus. To walk away from the Sermon on the Mount and say like, high five Jesus, like that was really cool. I'm going to take it. I'm going to think on it. Like great information, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Our world has been built to tell us that we can consume information and do nothing about it. And the temptation is to take Jesus' words and do absolutely nothing about it. My appeal for you this morning is that you will stick close to Jesus. That the words that he's outlined, the choices that he's put in front of you, You'll say, Jesus, I want to be with you because Jesus and his way is not an appendix to my life. After the story of my life has been written, it's not enough for Jesus to be a footnote here or a footnote there. He is either everything or he is nothing. C.S. Lewis puts it this way in Mere Christianity. Jesus would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit him out and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord. As Jesus finished his sermon with the cradle row song, people responded. It's in the final closing verses of Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. 
we can blow past this verse and be like, yeah, 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 of course. Like it was Jesus. Like, cool. Yeah. Like, of course he had real authority. But what was the reason behind it? When a rabbi would get up and preach, he would often quote many other rabbis who would come before him. So there was no original thought. There was no thing. It was rabbi so-and-so said this and rabbi so-and-so said that. When Jesus stands up and preaches the Sermon on the Mount and he finishes it, he says, I am the son of man. I'm the one that's come to divide. I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the lie. This is me. I am here. I'm the one saying this. Nobody else has said it. I am coming and speaking with authority and people recognized it. Like how Eugene Peterson puts it in his message paraphrase. He says it was apparent that Jesus was living everything he was saying. And that's the difference between a relationship with Jesus and information about religion. When we have a relationship with Jesus, we begin to live the things that we profess. Because when it comes to the two trees, Jesus will say in John chapter 14, verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I'm the way that leads to life. When it comes to the two trees, Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse five, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Tired of producing bad fruit? Graft your life into Jesus. Stick with Jesus. Let him transform your mind and then your mind will take hold of action. You'll be living what you are professing. When it comes to the two groups, those who will do the will of the Father, Jesus says, John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. Just a few verses before, he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's how people will know that you and I are tied. And two foundations, solid bedrock or shifting sand. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, talking about the children of Israel in the wilderness. All of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. In Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Where will you choose to live your life? What are you going to do as we leave this mountaintop? You're, you're given two choices, to choose the way of Jesus and the love of Jesus, or to sit back and say, no, I'm gonna go find that somewhere else. My appeal and my invitation to you today that you will come into Jesus' presence and you will allow Jesus to transform your mind, to transform the way that you think, that you will sit and you will bask in the library of Scripture. Start with the Sermon on the Mount. Start with the Gospel of John. Start with the Psalm. And let your mind be transformed by Jesus. Because we can grin and bear it only for so long. We can white knuckle ourselves through this life and say, if I could only get my actions okay, then Jesus would love me. And he's saying, my child, please let me take the wheel for you. And when I do that, I'm going to transform your mind so that this isn't a white knuckle life, that you're living my unforced rhythms of grace. You don't have to try so hard. All you have to do is simply come and to be in my presence. What are you going to do as we leave this mountain? I invite you to stick close to Jesus. Let his way and his kingdom 
transform your minds and your hearts. Thanks so much for listening to this wonderful message on Elevate Retake. Hopefully you were changed. Hopefully you had a, a life-changing experience with Jesus through this message. And you realize that He is the way, He is the vine, and if you love Him, keep His commandments. Stick close to Jesus and let His way and His kingdom transform you. We hope that this series has transformed you in a very special way, and we hope that maybe you could share this with a family member or a friend. You don't know the blessing that you could be to someone by just simply sharing this episode. Don't forget to check out Elevate Retake, the uh, the actual conversation that will be dropping into your feed later on this week, so subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. My name is Kelvin, and we'll see you next time. There's always room for one more.